0: do welcome to the teaching ministry of Nelson Ihabo. Be stirred as you listen. We've been looking at uh, the laws of Bible homonautics or the laws of Bible interpretation. And um, one of those things that we've been looking at right now, we've been looking at it for about seven weeks now. I think this is the eighth week. And... Uh, you know there's so much more to say but like i said this is a crash course so we're gonna finish tomorrow we're gonna finish this class not tomorrow sorry um in the by next week thursday right next week thursday we'll just run through a few things and then we'll be done today i'm gonna run through two rules quickly so that we can finish them up and just uh, rush into it i'll just go to th- two rules all right bible interpretation Another thing you must understand when you're studying the Bible, before I even say that, let me say this, child of God, fall in love with God's word. You know, at the beginning of this class, at our introduction, I um, shared a few things. I said, it is God's method, and it is God's mindset. It is the way the Lord designed it that we be known, that he be known from his word. Okay. It is the way the Lord designed it that He be known from His word. and because we will know God, we need to fall in love with His word. We need to learn how to rightly divide the Word of God. We need to learn how to rightly divide the Word of God. okay? Um, I think it's the series after the next one we're gonna do. we'll look at Christ in the Old Testament. you know we'll look at that will be like a sequel to this teaching um on uh, bible interpretation it to to give us what exactly are you supposed to look out for when you study your bible okay we're gonna look at that it's going to be our series after the next one okay so the next series will just uh, the name of the next series we're going to start is um god's word and me okay god's word and me basically application of god's word in your life i think it's going to be a very amazing interesting teaching that is needed in our day Okay, we'll just probably um, have maybe two, three classes on that, and then we move into Christ in the Old Testament. All right, I thought we're going to be excited about that. But let me uh, just jump on this. All right, Um, one thing you must look out for when you study God's Word is you must know the historical application, the historical context of God's Word. See, Jesus came in a Jesus came in a time. He came in a time where, uh, or rather, Jesus came at a point in time. Okay, yes, he's eternal. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he came at a point in time in history. You see, there are a couple of people who are called Jesus mythicists. These are people who believe that Jesus does not. Jesus never truly existed. Okay, and that is that is a that that's basically a clown talking because every major bible scholar even atheists they all agree that jesus was a real person that jesus was a real person so um but when we get to look at time we get to understand that jesus came at a point in time okay so when when i say he came at a point in time i said that for this purpose the things that he said were historically accurate Or, they were historically relevant. They were relevant for the point in time he came in. Now, when I say they are relevant, I don't mean they are not relevant today. Or better still, rather than using the word relevant, I rather say they were historically, they were um, timely applicable for the time he was in. Let me give an instance of what I said. Um, So, for example, you get to see Jesus say things like, um, I am the bread of life jesus said i am the bread of life remember i'm explaining historical context why did jesus say he is the bread of life jesus said he is the bread of life because bread was the staple food of the jews the jews were the people in time that jesus came amongst so him saying i am the bread of life bread was the staple food of the jews so he had to use bread to explain a spiritual truth that he was talking about let me let me let me bring it back home if jesus was yoruba maybe jesus was from Hegba, Ijebu, you know he came in today he will basically say i am the amala of life all right if he was among the easterners you say, i'm the Akbul of life you, do you understand what i'm trying to say what i'm trying to say is He used bread because it was their staple food. Not because bread has a spiritual implication in the realm of the spirit. That's not why. The reason he used bread was because it was their staple food. And this is something that they could relate to. This is something that they could relate to. So he said it's their bread of life. You know, Jesus demonstrating um, the fellowship of the saints in the communion. That's his body and his blood. You know, demonstrating the fellowship of the saints what that means is um if jesus then he used um, bread and wine because that was their normal diet if it was today you know um in a traditional Igbo home he might have used a goosey soup and he might have said this soup is my is my blood and this eba is my flesh you scoop my flesh and you scoop my blood it was historical context This was what he was using to explain a particular truth, okay? He was using what was obtainable around them to explain a significant spiritual truth. Because, like I said, they existed in time. And because they existed in time, he had to use things that were relatable to them around to to express what he was saying. Now, let's go deeper into the context of historical context, okay? Okay. Let's go into this. I'm I'm reading this because a lot of people, a lot of people, like I said earlier, they forget that the Bible at its best is a book. The Bible is a book, like I've said. So when they read the Bible, they get to forget that there is a context in which it was written. Now, when I say context, you see, I loved literature in secondary school. So I used to um, there there are settings of a play, right? There's the plots, there's the there are, there's the plots, there's the setting. Okay, and I've forgotten the last one. There's the plot and there's the setting. The setting is the time and the location in which a particular dramatic um, setup occurs. The setting is a particular time and location in which a particular um, drama setting occurs. So if I tell you a story and I'm telling you, you see, um, I went out today, I went to Oshodi, right? Oshodi and time and today already tells you the setting in which I'm talking about. So, a lot of people read the Bible and forget that it has a setting as well. There's a particular place in which it happened. And then, many things that were their context then are not our context today. Now, a lot of people now try to use that to explain a way things like... um, You know, maybe sex before marriage or a couple of things. They say, you know, it was the Jewish context then. No, but Jesus gets to tell us. And that is why Paul and the apostles and even Jesus, whenever they were teaching on things that pertain to the church, they did not teach it from a cultural standpoint. They taught it from a standpoint of revelation. Because culture will change. But revelation about God is as unchanging as God is. So, I mean, Jesus will say, at the beginning you know when they say um uh you know who when they brought the laws about divorce to jesus and jesus said at the beginning it was not so what that means is in god's plan divorce was not there you know um jesus quoted what uh, he quoted the father in the beginning and he said you know a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife and both of them shall become one flesh paul tells us he said know ye not that he that is joined to a harlot becomes one with her then he gets to tell us that marriage is an institution between christ and the church and it being a typification of the union between christ and the church it means that intimacy of course we know intimacy can only be between christ and his church therefore or there also um, um, um the physical intimacy of sex you know should only be between a man and his wife because what does the bible let us understand it says that they um they both were naked and they were not ashamed who is they of course it was talking of adam and eve this is after adam saw eve they both were naked and they were not ashamed the proper context of an intimacy of a sexual kind or of a physical kind is marriage okay so i use I, ju- I just had to explain that because a lot of people so that what i'm saying is not taken out of context but a lot of people used to um do some kind of gymnastics with scriptures especially progressives when it comes to issues like that okay so explaining further about the historical context turn your bible with me to first corinthians to first corinth to romans rather to romans 1616 16. romans 1616 16. it says Salute one another with an holy kiss the churches of Christ salute you salute one another with an holy kiss you know second corinthians thirteen twelve he says greet one another with a holy kiss first thessalonians five twenty six now this one is even worse he says greet all the brethren all greet all the brethren with a holy kiss so now You see, this is speaking of historical context. And a lot of people don't get this because the truth of the matter is this. If you come to church today and I say, greet each other with a holy kiss, first of all, you'll 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 have some kind of restraint. Because what a kiss means to you today is different from what a kiss meant to them when the scriptures were written. The underlying context of what paul was saying in these places he was telling them greet one another so if paul was with us today he would have said he would have probably said greet one another with an affectionate hug," or he would have said greet one another with a handshake or with a fist bump all right so this speaks of the historical context so in understanding the historical context you get the best of it That what he's saying is greet one another, not kiss one another. So I'm I'm starting from something that is very obvious before we even go even deeper. Okay, another one, First Corinthians eleven. This one, this one has caused a a bit of schism between a lot of people. First Corinthians eleven. Look at this. He said, let me read from verse 2 now. He said, Be ye followers of me, even as even as I also am of Christ. He said, Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Verse 3 is even where I'm going to. He said, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or, or prophesying having his head covered, covered dishonoreth his head he said but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head he said for that is even all even all one as if she was shaving meaning to that for her praying or prophesying with her head uncovered is the same thing as her you know praying if uh, it is as the same thing as her you know having shaved her head okay He said, for if the woman be not covered, let her also be shone, meaning let her shave her head. He said, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shone or shaven, let her be covered. He said, for a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and the glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. He said, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. He said, For this cause of the woman to have power, meaning a covering over her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. Now, I'm in verse 12 now for those following. He said, For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judging yourself. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? He said, Doth not even nature itself teach unto you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her? For her hair is given her for a covering. He said, But if any man seem to be contentious, Look at what he says now. If any man seem to be contentious, We have no such custom, Neither the churches of God. I had to read all that, you know, so that we'll understand the context. A lot of people don't understand this thing of head covering. Now, the issue of head covering has a historical context. Now, you get to see the way Paul started. Remember when we talked about the law of context? Paul started by saying that, you know, the head of a man is Christ. And then the head of the woman is the man. So what he's talking about, when he said the man, of course, he's talking of the family, you know. Um, where the, the the both submits to one another, but he was talking of the husband should love your wives, and then wives love, lo- uh, wives submit to your husband, okay, <clears throat> and the system of marriage, you know, he said as Christ, a man should love his wife as Christ loves the church, and the woman should submit to the husband as the, um, as the husband, as the church submits to the leadership and authority of Christ, okay. Now, Paul started by saying, He said, he said, now look at this. Uh, It's beautiful. Paul started by saying, he said, the, the, um, um, the woman is the, the woman is the head, the man is the head of the woman. Okay. So we get to understand that what he's talking about here, first of all, is order, is order. Then he goes down. He now starts explaining. He said, for you know that a man's head is not supposed to be covered. What does he mean by that? First of all, you need to understand the historical context to get the juice out of this verse, okay? The historical context of this verse is that Christ, or better still, the Corinthian church, or Corinth, basically, the way Corinth was designed, Corinth was designed in such a way that, or their cultural context was that a man's head was not supposed to be covered. That time they had, you know, a man's head was not supposed to be covered. It was fashioned. It was their thing that day that the man being the head of the home, his head is not supposed to be covered. It is the woman's head that is supposed to be covered. And her head covering was symbolic of the fact that she was under the authority of a man. So, you know, and of course, if you read the culture around those times, the, the, the culture around that time basically is a woman's head being covered Means that she's under the authority of a man, like I said, but um, a man's head being covered is a shame for him. It's more or less like he's being effeminate, or better still, he's acting like a woman, you know. And that is not the way it was supposed to be. Of course, that's um, like I said, that's not the way it's supposed to be. A man is not supposed to act like a woman, you know, and things like that. So, if a man covers his head, then the man is behaving effeminate. But the way Paul was explaining, he said so. Now, we even get to understand that if a woman, you know, he explains in that verse that the glory of a woman is her hair. But if she does not cover her hair, then let it be as if she be shaving. Or if she does not want to cover her hair, let her shave her head. What is he saying? Let her take away, in quote, her beauty. If she does not want to, in quote, be under authority. Hold on, I'm explaining now. I'm still explaining, please hold on. He said, let her take away her hair if she does not want to be under authority. So, like I said, the cultural context that he started with was order, you know, the man being, um, the man being the head of the woman, the woman covering her hair, which is symbolic of the fact that she's under authority. Okay? So, Paul is even saying, you know, Paul explaining with their cultural context, he was saying that um, the way the society then was designed is it's fine. You know, head covering, head covering being symbolic of the fact that the woman was subject to a man. In today's terms, the closest thing that we we'll have it is maybe a wedding ring. A wedding ring was symbolic of the fact that a woman is married to a man. Okay? It was symbolic of the fact that a woman is married to a man. So, then, a woman's head being covered was, in some sense, a show of mm-hmm. modesty. It was a show of modesty. That's exactly what it was then. all right. But for us now, indeed, tides have turned. We no longer see head covering as a symbol of authority that the woman has over the man. Or that the woman is under a man. That is not what we see. If you are going to see anything at all, it is a wedding ring. And as time goes on, it can change. People can decide that I no longer want. I I don't want to wear a wedding ring. We both want to use necklaces, and it is still fine. Because culture and society has changed over time. But in context like this, when you when you understand that the historical context is what is different, what you need to apply is the message that he is passing across. So let me go back now. When he spoke of the holy kiss, greet one another. The message you get there is not that we discard it totally. No. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The message we get there now is, okay, so what is Paul telling us? We should greet one another. Adi, right now, we no longer greet with kiss. <laughs> we just greet one another. So you can extend the handshake. You can hug one another. Um, hug that is in Christ. Please, not consume. Hug in Christ. Okay? Then, uh, we move on further. And then we get to find... You know, Paul, this one, Paul is talking about the head covering, you know, between a man and a woman. You get to understand that what Paul is basically teaching is he's talking of order. He's talking of how a woman is um, subject to a man. You know, in Corinthian culture, a woman covering her head during worship or when she was in public was displaying submission to authority or, you know, respect and reverence for her husband. If anything we are going to see here, what is it going to be? Is that like, okay, a woman woman has reverence for her husband husband is supposed to love the wife of course whether in public or in private is that's how it should be you know and both parties are supposed to revere one another as it should be okay so husband love the wife revere the wife private or public wife honor your husband private or public so what exactly is paul talking of here order you know honor for the man and things like that and that is exactly what we should we should have the context might change in terms of head covering or what head covering is but today as far as we no longer see head covering as that show of authority we should just take the context and leave the head covering alone a lot of people don't understand what this is so even in today's worship they say things like ah you women if women are coming into church they must cover their hair and they don't understand that their hair that is being covered that paul was speaking of he was talking of in quote modesty and honor and reverence for husband because he was talking of honor it did not have anything exactly to do with worship it only had anything to do with both of them he had anything to do with he had everything to do with honor as far as the family structure was concerned guys do we understand this or do i need to explain it again But then again, in fact, do you know the ultimate point for this is verse 16, which Paul said, Paul said, this might be a good thing oh, as for covering your head and all that. He was talking of the head covering directly. You know, it probably was a very strong, contentious point for them, you know. But Paul now said that it might be as good, oh, you know, to show honor for your husband. But when it comes to the head covering... He now goes to verse 16 and says, if anybody seems to be contentious or to cause problems about this, just know that in the assemblies of God, in the church of God, we have no such custom. That is the final argument, that if you must cover the head, then to be very careless for Paul to say that we have no such custom, to be very careless for Paul to say that we have no such custom, okay? Let me read, let me give you just the final one on the historical context. The final one on the historical coin feet washing. Feet washing. Those of you who have been following me for a while, you probably knew I was coming to feet washing. You knew I was coming to feet washing. Okay. So um turn your Bible with me to John. John thirteen. John thirteen. Verse 3, let's start from verse 3. It says, Jesus knowing that all things the Father had given to him. Je- oh, sorry, I'm reading under translation. Okay, John 13 verse 3. It said, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all, all things into his hands. And that he was come from God and went to God. He rised from, sof- from supper and laid aside his garments." Now, first of all, you need to understand that that verse 3 is important. Jesus, knowing that God has given him all things, right? And he was come from God and he was going to God. He arose at supper. He laid his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with towel wherewith he was guarded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter. And Peter said unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Look at this. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do, thou knowest not. But thou shalt know hereafter. Look at verse 8. Peter said unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet, Jesus. Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part no part with me. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, not my feet, but my head only. Look at what Jesus said. Jesus said unto them, He that is washed, needeth not, needeth not save to wash his feet. But he's clean every week, and you are clean, but not all. Now, um, look at what Jesus said now in verse 12, 12 and 13. He said, So after he had washed their feet, and had taken his garments, and had set them down again, and he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me master and lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I said, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent he. If ye know these things, happy are ye, and if I do. Now look at this. Child of God, listen. A lot of people don't understand that what Jesus did here What Jesus did here was, um, it was not, first of all, I know a a couple of churches that do this for, they do feet washing as a miracle service. Okay. And of course, the power of God will flow because it is the power of God. God is interested in touching and reaching his people. Okay. And the most important thing when it comes to this is faith. All right. is faith. Now, as far as faith is concerned, if you apply faith, You will get results. Because the power of God can be conducted through anything. If I have a phone service, the power of God will be conducted through that phone. Why? Because it's the power of God. We see Peter communicate the power of God through his shadow. We see Paul communicate the power of God through a handkerchief. We see the power of God communicated in all these things. Okay, child of God. But one thing we need to get... One thing we need to clarify on. And one thing we need to understand is this. Jesus, remember the line of context. Jesus did not do this to communicate healing. Jesus did not do feet washing to communicate healing. As a matter of fact, if we read the verses down, we get to find out that Jesus did it as a lesson to them. He did it as a lesson to them. What did he say in verse um, 15? He said, or verse 14, He said, if I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that that ye should do as I have done to you. So he did this as an example. And he said that as I have washed your feet, you should wash the feet of one another. The question is, what exactly does feet washing mean? Because if we take this literally, what it will mean is we will be washing each other's feet up and down. Anytime we get to church, but we need to get the context. Here. Israel was a very, it still is a dusty city. And these guys wore sandals. You know, they wore sandals. They were walking up and down in dusty cities. And then walking through dusty cities. What this means is um, the feet will get dirty. Their feet will get dirty. Okay? And at their feet being dirty, they have to go into um um what's the word now their feet being dirty you know whenever you get into a a a a friend's house okay or whenever you come into somebody's house uh, it was one of the signs that you were welcome there was a servant who washed your feet so that you won't bring dust into the house anyways number one it was a sign that you were welcome but number two it was also for personal hygiene okay because if you bring dust into the house you will stay everywhere okay so, their feet were dusty. So, the servant washed their feet. Now, you know, when the Bible tells us Jesus turned water, water to wine, we get to understand that if you read um, a, one of the Gospels, it says that it, he took the waters of purification. A lot of people don't know what that means. Where Jesus God told them to get water for? The jars of purification. Those were the jars that they put water that they, put, that they put water at the door to wash the feet of people that were coming. To wash their feet. To show that they were welcome and personal hygiene. It's just, today what that will mean is, if you are coming into the house, you are going to wash your hands. Because, you know, there are surfaces you probably have touched. I think you just come in and you wash your hands. That's what it was. Jesus didn't do this for miracles. Jesus did feet washing to teach them service. The person who washed people's feet was the loneliest. Was usually the loneliest person. Was usually the loneliest person in the house. And there was a servant in charge of washing the feet of people. Now, that servant that was in charge of washing the feet of people was um, 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 that servant that was in charge of washing the feet of people was the loneliest person in the house. Now, now you understand why Peter would tell Jesus. And say master don't wash my feet you are the master how will you be washing my feet okay how will you be washing my feet being the master and then jesus now said if i don't wash it you're not a part of me then he said wash not my feet only but wash my whole body what exactly is the context of this we need to get this the context of this is very simple you see um jesus then went down to say as i have served you serve one another you call me master and you are true but i have served you serve one another what does that mean philippians chapter 2 jesus being god counted it not to be robbery with god counted it not robbery to be equality with god he became a man okay and then he served the purposes of god in fulfilling god he served humanity he gave mankind an option at eternal life he gave mankind an option at eternal life that was the service that jesus became to god imagine the creator becoming his creation That is the ultimate, utmost show of humility. That's the ultimate show of humility. The creator becoming man is the ultimate show of humility. So Jesus, that is exactly what Jesus did when he became a man. And that is exactly how he was humble. Remember that Jesus being God, there were okay, I'm going to explain that. You know, when Jesus told them that there are particular things I cannot explain to you now, it was because there are particular things, he, they didn't have the spirit within. So, he had to use physical things to explain spiritual realities. He had to use physical things so that they would get it well. So, Jesus had, he told them that this is how I'm going to serve you. And as I have served you, serve one another. And that is exactly what Paul used in Philippians 2 when he taught us that he said, Jesus became a man. The Father, the God became a man. And then let this mind which was in Christ be in you. That the same way God became a man is the same way we're also supposed to be humble and love one another. Guys, do we get this? It's the same way we're supposed to be humble and serve and love one another. Praise the Lord. So, when it comes to feet washing, the way Jesus did it, is the way, how we wash each other's feet, is by being humble and serving one another in love. Just as Christ served us in making available salvation. Do we see the interpretation of historical context? Okay? Um, Let me just... I think those are those those are just the few examples time will, will permit us to take when it comes to um, um a historical context. The next the next law I'm gonna talk about, which I'll just run on this very quickly, is scripture must interpret scripture. Can I say that again? Scripture must interpret scripture. Um a passage of scripture must be understood in the light of other clearer and clearer and better expressed um, writings of Scripture. Okay? A part of Scripture, a part of Scripture must, I say that again, it must be expressed in the light of other parts of Scripture that are clearer and are better expressed. And that is how Scripture interprets itself. A part of Scripture, like I said again, must be interpreted in the light of better expressed and clearer parts of scripture they must be they must be they must be they must be okay so um um let me just explain if you what i what i mean by that let, let me explain what i mean by that um i'm just gonna use one example because of our time john sixteen thirteen. Now, a lot of people know this law, but they use it wrongly. So when they say scripture, interpret scripture. Yes, like I was saying. So I'm just going to give one example because of our time. John 16. John 16, 13. It said, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, But whatsoever thing he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you the things to come. Now, the Holy Ghost showing you things to come was not the Holy Ghost revealing prophecy. You know, when Jesus said, he will show you the things to come, the gift of prophecy in terms of foretelling had already been in operation. So, it was not, in quotes, um, um, specific to this agency of the Holy Ghost that was coming. It was not. It was not. So there was something else that Jesus was talking about. Something else that when he said he will show you the things to come. You know, a lot, a lot of people use this verse in their exam and they say the Holy Ghost will show you things to come. So the Holy Ghost can show you questions. Can he? Yes, he has done it for me many times. Okay. However, that is not the interpretation of this verse. This verse is not even talking about prophecy, in quote, It was specific. And Jesus was talking about things after his resurrection. So, like I said, when people say things like scripture, interpret scripture, they get to say, oh, so... And the Bible talks about Jesus being a son. Then they go to the Old Testament and they see where son is. Then they jump to somewhere in Micah and they see our son is used. They say so. You see, in Micah, a son is somebody who is begotten of another person. Then they go and they say he's the son of righteousness. So a son being the son must shine light because scripture interprets scripture. That is not how to use this law. How to use this law basically means that all the verses must be saying the same thing about the same subject matter. They must be saying the same thing about the same subject matter. However, as much as they are saying the same thing about the same subject matter, um, some must be clearer than some other ones. And many times, those, and those scriptures that interpret other scriptures are in the epistles. And that's why I quoted this one. When the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you. You don't, you don't assume you will know what the spirit of truth will guide you in. And of course, Jesus already explained in context that the ministry of the spirit was to reveal the son. So, you don't, if, if he was going to reveal the things to come, it was going to still be about the son. How was this fulfilled? If, at what point, or how does scripture fulfill scripture in this verse? Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1st Corinthians chapter 2. Verse let me let me let's do from verse verse um 7 verse 7 it says but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Look at that. He's now saying that this wisdom that I'm talking about, it is not going to be hidden forever. God hid it for a particular time. He now said, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Okay? So, he's saying that that wisdom I'm speaking about, it is hidden in a person called the Lord of glory who was crucified. Which is who? Jesus Look at verse 9. He said, but as it is written, I had not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God had prepared for them that love him. Okay? The things which God had prepared. Now, look at this. But as it is written, I had not seen, nor ear heard, neither have he entered into the heart of any man, the things which God had prepared for God. That... But look at this verse 10. He says, but God, but God. Revealed them unto us by His Spirit. Look at this. A lot. Of, look. Look at the law of context here. A lot of people just quote that verse eight, verse nine, and say, "I have not seen." No ear, What God I prepare for them that love Him. Hold on, hold on. The next verse says, "But God had revealed." So those things He had not revealed them in time past, but now He has revealed them. And how did He reveal them? He revealed them unto us. How? By His Spirit. By his spirit next for the spirit searcheth all things yea the deep things of god are you seeing this he said but the spirit but it but god had revealed them unto us by his spirit for the spirit searcheth all things yea the deep things of god okay now look at this this is very instructive maybe i will explain it later but um of course, from verse 7, when we talk of the hidden wisdom and he talks of the Lord of glory, we understand that that hidden wisdom that he's speaking about is seen who in who? In the person of Christ. That hidden wisdom is seen in the person of Christ. Alright, so if we get to find anything and we get to understand that, that he's speaking of a hidden wisdom, which is seen in the person of Christ, um, God, having revealed them unto his spirit, and he's saying the spirit searched the deep things of God it means the deep things of God and the hidden mystery which God had not revealed was not talking of the the, the readings and dimensions of the spirit he was talking about the mysteries that were revealed in the coming of Christ that in Christ salvation was to come to all men so these are the things that the spirit was going to reveal in that you remember when we read John 16:13 the things in John 16, 13 that were going to be revealed. These are the things that Jesus spoke about. The things that were going to be revealed in John 16, 13 are the mysteries of Christ which has been revealed to them who love him. You know, they are the things that eyes have not seen nor ear heard, but they are the things that have been revealed unto us by his spirit. And what are those mysteries? in It is the gospel. Let's go on. Let's read one more verse to just seal this up. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 5. It says, which in other, you know what, let me read from verse 3. It said, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote in a few words, whereby when you read, he may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So Paul is basically telling us that the mystery that God revealed to me is the mysteries I'm explaining to you in my letters, in Ephesians. These are the mysteries. So there were things that were hidden for a particular time. Remember when I said that in um, 1 Corinthians? There were things, 1 Corinthians 2. There were things that were hidden for a particular time. But these are the mysteries that are revealed now. They are the mysteries that are revealed now. I said they were hidden for a time, but that mystery is in Christ and is revealed now. Look at this. Look at verse five. It says, "Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, but as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets, how by the Spirit." Look at this. You need to allow Scripture interpret Scripture. You don't just read John sixteen thirteen and assume that the Spirit will be revealing whatever he likes. You know, as far as there are things to come, no. If you read through the epistles, you know, better expounded, better explained, we get to find out that the things that Jesus was was speaking about, that were going to be revealed by the Spirit, these things that Jesus was speaking about are specifically, peculiarly, these things are the mysteries which are in Christ that are going to be revealed. They are the mysteries in Christ which were going to be revealed. Praise the Lord. There are the mysteries in Christ which were set to be revealed. And that is exactly what Paul was communicating. Exactly what Paul was trying to teach us on. The mysteries in Christ which were um, set to be revealed. That mystery, Paul said, is not something you cannot understand. The mystery, Paul said, is the mysteries in Christ which were set. Remember, he said, which I wrote to you in my letters. Whereby, when you read, you understand. If you can read it and understand it now, what does that tell you is no longer a mystery you should rejoice at that the things that in time past were a mystery were hidden they have been revealed to us now by the spirit so why did jesus say he will show you the things to come the things to come were the mysteries which were going to be revealed in god's calendar it was not a time for it to be revealed because men didn't have the spirit but in time to come god had chosen paul and the apostles that by the same spirit They bring the revelations of Christ and we understand it. Praise the name of Jesus. I trust you were blessed by the teaching of God's word. For more ministry content, visit niministries.org God bless you.